0: If you're not aware, we're going through the sermon series through psalms, and uh, in the past few weeks, Pastor Dan led us through uh, some of the major themes in psalms. We talked about justice, about the Word of God, about prayer, and today we're talking about Psalm 51, which is a psalm of repentance, and I'm going to just dive right in into the context of Psalm 51. Uh, you might have noticed, Jay read in the beginning that this was written by King David um, in the context of Nathan, the prophet, talking to him about Bathsheba, and uh, and in, if you were to create a biblical characters all-star team, okay, if you were to create a team of people who were the most godly, the most faithful, the most honoring to God, David would be on that team. And so um, I, I have really good photo editing skills, so I put that in there. And uh, David was perhaps the best king Israel had, and he was, you know, a musical genius, and he he shaped Israelite culture for hundreds of years. And so you can kind of think of him as a combination of George Washington and Elvis Presley. So that's who David was for the Israelites. And, 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 but more than that, uh, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And, and I think more than that was probably the most important thing about him. He had this relationship with God that reached this level that very few people ever experienced. And so that's who David was. But at the peak of his greatness, we have this story of David and Bathsheba. And this happened in Second Samuel chapter 11, and if you want, if you're interested, you can read it on your own time. But in this situation, David, our all-star king, he had multiple chances to do the right thing, but he chose not to do the right thing. And so I'll just go through the story real quickly just to catch you up on speed. So one day, David, he's a married man, okay? He, he notices a woman named Bathsheba who's bathing, and he finds her attractive, and so he sends messengers to ask who this person is, and he discovers, oh, this is the wife of Uriah, and Uriah was one of his best fighting men, one of his most faithful brothers who fought for him. And, and he says, oh, this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. I'm going to sleep with her. Okay, so that's what he does. And he and I want to clarify: this is not consensual sex between two individuals, two equals. This uh, this was a culture in which disobedience to a king uh, most likely results in death. And so this is. It's hard for us to imagine what this is like today, but this is probably more similar to a mafia boss just kidnapping a woman. That's probably what happened. Okay, And so this is pretty awful already, but it gets worse. Bathsheba finds out she is pregnant. And so David, he says, i got to get rid of her husband then. So he tells his general, put Uriah on the front lines and make sure he dies fighting. Make sure he dies fighting. And so David has one of his most loyal men, Kills off and he covers it up as a heroic act, because he didn't want to find he didn't want Uriah to find out that he had impregnated his wife. And and so David he basically he broke half the Ten Commandments just right there. And if you were to hear about somebody today, a politician, somebody today doing something like that, that would I mean that would be pretty messed up. And and, and so in Second Samuel chapter twelve, God sends Nathan the prophet to David and he delivers one of the harshest rebukes in the Bible, and David is caught red-handed. Have you been there before, being caught red-handed? What do you do when you are caught red-handed, when people discover, when people find out you've done something that you know that you shouldn't do? You know, sometimes we make up excuses to justify ourselves. Sometimes we blame other people. Sometimes we just pretend like it never happened. We just distract ourselves, move on to the next thing, just to get this feeling of guilt out of our minds. But what does David do when he gets caught red-handed he writes Psalm 51. That's what he does when he gets caught red-handed. In response to being caught, David writes the Psalm of Repentance. And I think this is very important for us because through this Psalm, David teaches us how to repent. And God made sure to include this Psalm in the Bible so that when we sin, when we make, make mistakes, when we cross lines we know we shouldn't have crossed, we can learn from this Psalm and we can experience biblical repentance as well. And so... I'm thankful that stories like this are in the Bible because, because we recognize that there are a lot of people who try hard to follow God and they fall flat on their face. Right? It it teaches something very important and, and, and that's this. You might be able to tell if someone's a Christian, you know, if someone's following God by how frequently they sin. Right? That's, that you can say that. But I would suggest that it's probably, it's a better way to tell if someone's a Christian by looking at how often someone repents. Looking at how often someone repents. Because many people, they have it wrapped in their minds. Oh, I've got to be a good Christian, and being a good Christian means I've got to do the right things. And so I'm going to try my hardest to do all the right things. I'm going to try my hardest to fight all these sins. And I would say, that's good. I would say, that's really good. But if all of your energy is focused on that, on not sinning, I think you're fundamentally misunderstanding Christianity. That might be the way other religions work, trying hard not to sin but that's fundamentally not the way Christianity works. In Christianity, it's not primarily about the frequency the frequency of our sin, but the frequency of our repentance. It's about what we do after we sin. We are going to mess up. The reality is we're all going to mess up. And maybe some of you today, you're already thinking, I just messed up this morning. I did something horrible this morning, or I did something horrible last night. We might be going through things like that, so we are going to mess up. But what matters is in the aftermath of our mess-up, in the aftermath of our sin, what will we do? Will we or will we not pursue biblical repentance? That's what matters. That's the main question. And so what does biblical repentance look like? Starting from verse 1, David begins by praying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And so unlike many of us sometimes, David is praying as if he is at the total mercy of God. He's at the total mercy of God. I remember one time I was in college. I used to work this office job, uh, and it was very boring, but that was, I had to make money. That's what I did in college, and I remember before I started, I was told, you can't be late. If you're late once, you get a warning. If you're late twice, you're fired, okay, and that was very clear, and I remember twice in one week, I slept in, and I was late, okay, and that's and the first day, I mean, that was pretty bad already. But the second day, I remember I woke up, and I saw what time it was, and I just was like, oh, it's over. And I, and I sprinted. I, I didn't even brush my teeth. I just sprinted over to this office, and I felt this feeling of terror. And I remember thinking, I am totally at the mercy of this boss. And, and fortunately, I was enough that he didn't fire me. Uh, he gave me another chance. But I, I must have imagined David, uh, that was a little taste of probably what David felt. You know, he was feeling, God, I'm at your mercy, meaning I have nothing to offer here. I I messed up really bad. I don't have an excuse for it, and it, I I'm just at your mercy. And when you repent, do you have that mentality? You know, because on if you're honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't have that mentality. At least sometimes I don't have that mentality. Sometimes I think, you know, God, please help me, because you know I've tried so hard to be to be faithful to you. Or You know, I've been going to church and I've been serving. And I've been volunteering here, and I've been doing all these good things, and I've been loving to my wife. Or maybe for some of you, you know, I I, I've made promises to not drink, and I and I've been good for a month. Or you know, I've 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 had this addiction to you know pornography, but I've been clean for a month. Or I've been trying to be honest, and so. But what happens when we do stuff like that? We're we're basing our requests not on who God is, on God's character, but on our own record and or similarly maybe we haven't been good we try to make deals with god we might say something like god please help me if you do help me then i will be a good person if you do help me then i will be faithful and go into church or well, then i'll be faithful and stop drinking or well, then i'll be honest or but whatever it is whatever the case okay wh- whether we're talking about our past record or our promises about what we will do in the future what are we doing we're we're pointing to ourselves as the basis of our request We're relying on our own records, our own character, our own promises. And we're saying, God, if I just do this and this and this and this, then you got to give me this. But that's not the way biblical repentance works. That's not the way David prayed. Biblical repentance doesn't rely on our record, on our character, our promises. Biblical repentance relies on the mercy of God. And that's why David says, have mercy, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David recognizes he's not in a place to make deals with God. He doesn't have anything to offer to God. His sins have put him in this hole he can't get out of on his own. And he recognizes that he has this debt he can't repay. And so he recognizes the only way he can get out is if God extends mercy. Why does David feel that way? Why does he feel like he can't repay his debt? Verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Those who fully understand the magnitude of their sin will never bargain with God. They'll never feel like it's their place to bargain with God. Because our sins, when we recognize the weight of our sin, we recognize that sins have placed on our back a debt we can never, ever repay, No matter no matter how hard we try. When I first moved to Baltimore, this was about a little over three years ago, I was pretty street dumb. Some people are street smart. I would say I was street dumb. And, uh, and one of these occasions, I, I met this guy, uh, who lived close to me, and I would run into him often. He always asked for money, and, you know, and I would, sometimes I would buy him some food. But one day, he came to my door. I, okay, that was number one. I was dumb enough to tell him where I lived. Okay, so he came to my door. And and I just welcomed him, welcomed him inside, and so that's that's another bad move. But I did that, and I started talking to him a little bit, and you know, I asked him what he what he wanted, and he said he wanted a pair of pants. And I said, you know what, I have an old pair of pants upstairs. Let me grab you this pair of pants. Do would you want it? And he said, sure. So I, I went upstairs and downstairs. I was out of the room. I mean, I was not in the room for 20 seconds max. Okay, and then I came back with the pants, and I talked to him a little more, and and then he took off, and that was it. And then a few hours later, my housemate was like, Hey, have you seen my laptop? And I was like, Oh no, I haven't seen it. And then I went back to my room and I, and I went, Oh my goodness, this guy must have stolen the laptop. And I checked and, and I remember he had this black bag and I was out of the room for 20 seconds. But, and I just remember feeling so horrible that this guy stole the laptop. And, and I talked to this guy who worked out this deal and I, cause I felt so bad. I paid him for some of the laptop and not all the laptop cause he, he said it wasn't my, but that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> And and I remember we called the cops and the, the the cops came and we explained what happened and and the cops learned who it was. And He's like, oh yeah, I know this guy. You know, he's always doing stuff like that. And 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 uh, most likely this laptop is already in a pawn shop and he's probably getting high somewhere. And I remember thinking, I got fooled by this guy that this cop. The cops are all. I mean, I, I just I just felt so horrible and I felt so stupid. And and sometimes when things like this happen, I often want to replay conversations in my head and I imagine what would. I say to this guy, if we were to bump into each other again, I never saw this guy again. Strange, I saw him almost every day for months, and then I never saw him again. But what would I say if I ever bumped into this guy again? You know, and I would and I would replay these conversations and I go, okay, what if what if I say something like, dude, you know, I bought you those meals and I let you come into our place and you stole my friend's laptop? And and then and I would imagine, like, what if imagine this? What if he said something like you know, how about, you know, I wash your car and then we make it even. Because he used to say that a lot. He used to offer to wash my car all the time. And, and what if he said, hey, how about I wash your car and then we call it even? It doesn't take a genius to figure out you can't repay a debt like that just by washing a car. Right? Because some, but that's sometimes what we do. You know, sometimes we feel like we're generally on pretty good terms with God. And we might say something like, God, how about I just attend church regularly? You know, I just, and I give an offering. And I'll volunteer here and there. And then we'll call it even. But that's not the way repentance works. Repentance isn't just God doing you a favor because you're doing him a favor. Repentance is realizing I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I'm in this huge rut and I can never come close to being right with God on my own. And so, God, I'm at your mercy. Maybe some of us, though, uh, we might not feel that way. Maybe some of us, we might not feel like we're in a rut. We might feel like generally we do good things. We're not bad people. Uh, general, most of the time and, and, and sometimes we just make bad decisions But it doesn't mean we're in a rut Sometimes we feel like that You know, I, I remember talking to somebody a few years ago Who said something similar And, uh, and in, in fact this person was saying I think all people generally are good people and, um, and in fact all people I would say they're inherently good And it's just that sometimes they get caught up In the bad environment And they do bad things and so I was just trying to clarify, so what do you mean they get caught up in the bad environment? Does that mean, you know, they're like greenhouse gases? And he's like, no, 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 not that kind of environment. I'm talking about, like, sometimes they get caught up with the wrong people. And, and these people, they influence them to do bad things. And I said, so, so these people that they get caught up with, are these people bad people? And they're like, no, those people are also good people. You know, it's just those people probably, you know, sometime in their life, they got caught up with, you know, the, the bad people. And so I was just trying to clarify, so where does this badness come from? And then she's like, oh, it's the environment, but like but like but the environment is people, right? So where do these bad people come from? Is it like all these people are inherently good, and then when they get together, all of a sudden badness just magically appears? And and and, I, and then she was stuck for a moment. She didn't she never thought through these things before. Right? And because I think I think this is the way it works. At the end of the day, when we really think things through, we have to recognize there is some sort of inherent badness in humanity. Yes, there is an inherent goodness that's totally worth recognizing because we're image bearers of God. God lives and dwells in many of us. But I think there is also an inherent badness. And that's why bad things happen. Because we have to come to grips with the fact that God created the world good, but today the world is not good. So how did that happen? And we have to recognize there is an evil that has occurred, that has existed, that has in every human heart. And this evil is that nobody can tame this evil. And that's why David writes in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, he's saying, The sin that I have, the sin, the sin I'm committed is part of me. It's part of me. The sin is ever before me. It's always with me. I can't blame other people for it. I didn't learn this from my parents or from my friends. The sin, I had the sin the day I was conceived. The sin is nobody else but mine. And, and I think in order to experience biblical repentance, we have to reach that realization. We have to reach that realization. This sin is mine. I've sinned not just because I was in a bad environment. i sinned because I've had a bad heart. Or I've sinned, I, I, I've, it's not just I've done some bad things, it's I actually am bad. And, and not in the Michael Jackson bad, just bad, morally bad. Some ideas, you know, such ideas, sometimes they run against um, the way our culture thinks. You know, many people in our culture, we don't like to think that way. We don't like to think that we're bad. We like to think we're inherently good and we're just victims of evil. Bec- and that's why we make mistakes. And And we like to say, it's not the bad things you do that define you. It's the good things that you do that define you. And I want to affirm, yes, I think there's a part of that that is very true. But I think it's also missing something that's very important Although we're victims of evil, we're also perpetrators of evil. That also happens. And I think many in our culture, we refuse to recognize that side of the story because we're afraid of what that means. We're afraid of the implications of what it means, and we also don't know how to deal with that. We're also afraid, and we don't know what to do, how to deal with this idea that human beings are fundamentally broken and sinful. We don't have an ultimate solution for sin. And so for many people, because they don't have an ultimate solution for sin, they, did, they choose to deny sin, to ignore sin, to minimize sin. But we as Christians, we know there's an ultimate solution for sin. We know that this, this inherent badness inside of us has a solution. And that's why we got to talk about it. And what is that solution? What is the solution to this universal problem of human hearts permeated with sin. The solution is Jesus, and the solution is God granting us new hearts. And so throughout the psalm, there's this repeated imagery of this idea of God granting us new hearts. Firstly, there's this imagery of complete washing and cleansing. And notice, it's God, not us, doing all this washing and cleansing. For example, verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And verse 7, purge me with hyssop and if you don't know, hyssop is an herb that's used for ceremonial, medicinal purposes. Uh, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And there's this imagery also of having this fresh, clean slate. Uh, uh, David writes in verse 9, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Give me a clean slate, right? Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this word create, I want to camp on for a little bit because this is pretty fascinating. The Hebrew word for this has a connotation of creating something out of nothing and it's it 's not God rearranging something or altering something like in in, uh, in Genesis when God formed man out of the dust that 's one word you that 's one creation word but that 's not that word this is creating something out of nothing and this is the word used in Genesis one one where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth it 's that kind of creation in other words Jesus, David is saying I have this heart. I mean, he's not saying, I have this heart, please make some changes to it. He is saying, I have this heart, and it is a lost cause. God, create for me a completely new, different, clean heart. That's what David is saying. He's not saying, alter my heart, make some improvements here or there. He's saying, give me a totally new heart. And so biblical repentance is not a self-improvement program. It's a self-denial program. Where you choose to abandon your old heart, and you take on a totally new heart. You choose to abandon your old identity, and you take on a totally new identity. You're not just adding a few things here and there to your life. You're starting all over. Well, the, the first car that I bought was a 98 Volvo station wagon. I bought it in college. It had 170,000 miles, and, uh, and literally some parts were kept together by chewing gum. That's what the car was. And but I was so proud of myself because I got a good deal out of it. And and but but the thing was every few months I had this huge car repair bill. And, And in the beginning it wasn't that big of a deal. But I realized I was getting these almost every few months. And I would always justify myself because I was saying, but I got a good deal on this car, so it's okay. But one day, as you know, smoke was coming out of the hood of the car, I realized. I had to scrap this car. I had to get a totally new car. I can't just keep putting money in this thing. I, I'm going to drive this to the ground one day, and I'm going to lose my car anyways. I need to get a new car and altogether. And I think that's what biblical repentance is like. It's like getting a new car altogether. It's like it's saying, God, for so long I've done it this way, but it's not working. These repair bills, these spiritual, emotional repair bills, it's, it's, un, it's unmanageable. My heart is too immersed in sin. I can't just make a few adjustments here, a few adjustments there. I need for you to create in me a new heart, one that is clean and pure and faithful. And maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe you experienced stuff like that before. Maybe you've experienced feeling stuck. Maybe you're going through that right now. Maybe you're feeling like you've been trying so hard to change and you just can't. You just hit this wall. And uh, you can prob- you probably know your own issue. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's substances. Or maybe it's something that socially might not seem as bad. Maybe it's yelling at your kids. Maybe it's viewing pornography. Maybe it's being lazy. Maybe it's being self-righteous. Maybe it's being judgmental. Maybe it's being overly anxious. There are these things about you that you've tried so hard to change. And you said, I don't want to be like this, but I keep hitting this wall. I can't change this part of myself. And you're wondering, can I ever change? And I feel like that sometimes as well. Sometimes I don't know if I can change. And uh, a few years ago, I had this conversation with VK. We had this big fight. VK is my wife, and we had this big fight. And I remember thinking that too. In the aftermath of this fight, we're talking things over, and I just felt so rejected, so stuck in these sinful habits. I felt so defeated, so disoriented. And I remember asking her just, Bluntly, do you think I can change? And then she paused for a long time and she said, no, you can't change. But Jesus can change you. You can't change, but Jesus can change you. Because at the end of the day, it's not about what we do. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our efforts. It's about what God can do. Because repentance isn't about us cleaning up our own hearts, creating for ourselves Clean hearts, it's about asking God, God, will you create in me a clean heart? Will you change me? Because I can't change myself. There's a fundamental difference between David and us. And that is that David didn't know the full story of the gospel. David was praying that God would give him a clean heart, that God would change him. But he didn't really know, he didn't fully know how God was going to do that. How is it that God was going to just forgive David for adultery and murder like that? How can God give David a clean heart after all of that? But we know how. Because think about this. Why in the world would God grant our requests when we sin over and over and over? And we ask God, can you forgive me? Can you give me a clean heart? Can you wash me white as snow? Can you blot out my iniquities? On what basis can we trust that God will do all those things? Our basis is Jesus. We have confidence that God will fulfill his promises because of Jesus. Because the only reason we can't have a clean heart is because Jesus, the only one with a clean heart, said, God, I want to give my clean heart to this filthy world. The only reason we can be white as snow is because Jesus, while choosing to shed his blood on the cross, said, God, will you take this blood that I'm shedding and wash these hearts white as snow? And the only reason we can have our iniquities blotted out is because Jesus took on all of the iniquities on the cross and he blotted them out when he died on the cross, making sure our sins died with him on that cross. The only reason we know that God won't cast us away from His presence. We can pray, cast not me, cast me not away from your presence. The only reason why God will fulfill that is because Jesus is on the cross, God cast him from His presence. And Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is our hope and confidence that God will grant our request. And when we feel stuck, when we feel immersed in sin, we have to recognize God's character and And we recognize God's character on the basis of Jesus because God didn't just stand there and say he was good and he did this and he was that. But he actually lived it out. He actually sent Jesus to manifest his character for us. So that when we feel stuck in our sin, when we recognize the weightiness, the magnitude of our sin, we can have hope. And we can rejoice in Jesus who has given us a new heart. So let's look to Jesus.